For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today, I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. friends and enemies, heroes and villains, welcome to Epic Realms. I am your host, Nick. Today, our guest is New York Times bestselling author. With over 30 million books sold, he's got one of the largest followings of dedicated fans. His works has had an influence on other authors, artists, video games, and more. Please welcome to the show, R.A. Salvatore. Welcome. How are you doing? Good. Am I one of the villains? Um, you could be. be, that is up to you. That <laughs> okay. is all up to you. Sometimes, <laughs> hey, sometimes some of the best villains turn into the best heroes and you would know more than anyone because you've written them. Yeah, they were never villains. They were just misunderstood. Right. They're yeah. also probably some of my favorite characters. So we just came off of Gen Con 2022. You were the guest of honor. How was your weekend at Gen Con? A little busy. <laughs> a little busy? You signed no, a couple good. autographs? You know, you, you get... You, I, there were a few people I remembered because okay. I haven't been there for like seven years. Um, and it's changed quite a bit. It's we're getting to the point where the turnover is pretty extensive uh, from like the 1980s uh, um, for a lot of reasons that you could probably figure out. But um, I, I saw some old friends, but mostly I met new people. And it's always great meeting people who are kind of walking down the road of adventure with you. You know, and that's that's how I look at the people reading my books. We're on this road of adventure together, and what's going to happen next? Yeah. So we had a good time. Um, very busy. Very busy. Do you consider yourself an extroverted person or more of an no. introverted person? God, no. I am a massive introvert. These things take all the energy I can muster, even like this screaming thing. Yeah. I was the shyest kid in high school. I um. It's funny because when I was like in elementary school, I was a really good athlete right into junior high. And then I destroyed my knee. Actually, before I destroyed my knee, I had some pro just problems with my knee that developed as I was growing. And um, so I didn't play any of the sports that I had always played and kind of fell behind in everything and was small in junior high school and bullied and then yeah. had that growth spurt and wasn't small in high school anymore, but I was shy. Yeah. I, I never had a date in high school. Couldn't muster the courage to ask anyone out. And then one day I got to college and I said, you know, my life's going by and I'm not in it. And I tried to fight it hard, but yeah. it really took a lot. It actually took me finally getting to the point where Bob Salvatore and R.A. Salvatore are two different people. Okay. So R.A. Salvatore can handle a convention. Then he comes home and Bob Salvatore crawls around the house for about a week. Yeah. Do you, have a, do you have any any things that you do to prep for a big convention like that? Not really. Um, at this point, I used to, but at this point, I'm you know, I've been doing the shtick for thirty years, right? Yeah. It's, it's I don't want to say it's old news, but like when I'm in front of, I know a lot of the questions that can come at me. I know how to answer them. After thirty years of being on a stage in front of people, you you come to know what works and what doesn't. Yeah. So I don't really worry about it nearly as much anymore. Um, the biggest thing for me is just the disrupt the disruption in my day to day life that a convention will bring. Yeah. Do you have a big cool down time at the end where you get home and you're like, nobody talked to me, leave me alone for a few days? I want to have it, but I can't because this week of the e signings, the book is releasing tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and so I've got podcasts all week. I've got like three or four this week, and I've got to do like. The two e-signings combined were well over a thousand books that I'm going to have to sign. Many of them personalized. Wow! Uh, an e-signing for those who don't know is you order it from either rasalvatore.com or rasalvastore, which is my wife's store, 
and there's a place where you can put like, you know, to Nick. Right. And then I'll, I'll fill something in and sign it. Or you can say like, happy birthday, Nick. And I'll put that in the book or you can just get it signed. Um, but um, yeah, so I got about, I got all those books to sign this week and a whole bunch of other promotional things I have to do. Plus my wife and my wife is escorting my daughter's family to California this week because she's moving to California to go to med school. So uh, are they like driving or flying or how? they're flying, but okay. she's got, she's got two kids and a French bulldog. So she, and, yeah. she and Kevin can't handle it alone. <laughs> so uh, my wife's going to go and take care of one of the kids. Well, like Kevin gets stuck with the French bulldog and Katie can have the new baby to take care of. But um, so they're going out to California. And so that's going to be busy. And then uh, I have a signing Friday night uh, this week at Gibson's bookstore in New Hampshire. That's about an hour and a half drive from me. Okay. And then I have to get ready for next week when I'm going out to Seattle for um, Emerald City Comic Con. I'll be doing that over next weekend. And then I'm going in to see the people at Wizards of the Coast while I'm out there. And then I'm going to get in the car and drive down to see some friends who live on the West Coast for a couple of days. So nonstop. But at least you get to visit some people that are that are friends. See, yeah. See the countryside. Yeah. He's a do good you, man. He's do you get time writer. to enjoy events like this? When you when you go to, say, an Emerald City Comic Con or you go to a Gen Con, do you get time to, for yourself to go and be like, I want to go play some games? No, I don't play games Or is it like cons. everybody sees you and you don't have time to take for yourself? No, it's not that. I don't play games at cons for a couple of reasons. First of all, I'm very private about my gaming. My group is mostly family and friends that go back 30 years. Yeah. But beyond that, if I go and sit down at the game, the game changes immediately and it can ruin it for other people. Yeah. depending on how some people at the table react or don't react. You know, some people can get mad. Oh, yeah, what's he doing here? He's going to take over our game or or, yeah. or just, oh, my God, I can't believe you're here. Or, hey, in this book, did you do that? And we're trying to play a game, you know? Yeah. It just, it it, it hasn't worked out well in the past. So I just avoid gaming at the at the conventions. Yeah. Which is I sad. don't really have the time anyway, because, you know, you go from a panel to a panel to try and grab some lunch before the book signing and, the signings can be two, three hours. You're sitting right. there, and then when you're done that, you just want to get outside. Yeah, I can understand that. Even though it was like 100 and 180 degrees in Indianapolis last week. <laughs> how so much it felt you, like anyway. How much do you get to play games on your own, like just in, in normal life? Obviously, right now, you're super busy with a new book and signings, but like on a normal day-to-day, do you get to play a lot of gaming? Do you play, do a no, lot of I, games I, games? once a week, we have a, game, a, t- a tabletop role-playing group okay. gets together every Sunday night. And other than that, the only game I've played in a long time is WoW Classic, actually. Okay. I, I just, I don't have, to. the other thing is I used to game a lot more, but then when uh, 38 Studios blew up, it kind of, it was painful. So I just kind of fell away from gaming for a while, for a long while, because that was like eight years ago and I'm still falling away from gaming yeah. uh, online, I mean, you know. You do have a presence in a lot of video games. Do you do you have a lot of direct interaction with some of the? I know that they they have the uh, Idol Champions, which they have some of your characters. Yeah, I, in. I, they had I Neverwinter. With... They had a they had a whole section on Neverwinter about Gauntlet I don't know how much uh, you had to hand. I wrote it. Okay, <laughs> my son Brian and I wrote that one. Okay. My son Gino and I just wrote another another thing for Neverwinter. So okay. I'm, I'm back working with Cryptic with that. And I've worked with two games. I worked with Atari many years ago. Mm-hmm. I've worked. I'm wearing my Mutant Arm t-shirt. I worked with, went down and and, uh, and consulted with Mutant Arm uh, a few years ago. So, yeah, I've, I've worked with a lot of computer game companies. I have friends all over the industry. Do you enjoy obviously. doing that? Does that, does that bring you it. joy? Because, um, I mean, being yes. a person who plays video games or played video games, you know, to go, hey, I've, I've I worked, had a hand in these. I think if I if I played more, I probably wouldn't like working on them as much because okay. it's like when you're a writer, when you when you when you're a writer and then you go to read another book, you read it like an editor and it takes a lot of the joy away from it. It's kind yeah. of the same when you're too much into the video games. Mm-hmm. You know, you see the behind the screens and it's really like walking in the back lot at Disney and you realize, oh, that's just an image. That's just a facade. Right? Yeah. It's, it's it's there's a lot of that. But, um, but yeah, I, I love working with creative people and the people in the computer games industries are among the most creative people in the world today. You have, have couple, to be. you have a couple of favorite video games you, you've played in your, in your past? I'm an MMO guy, mostly. Okay. EverQuest was, my, was oh, yeah. my love for years. In fact, I still play every now and then. I'll go back and play the original EverQuest. Yeah. Um, that they, you can still get one. There's one site that runs it. Um, 
like through the first two expansions. Yeah. yeah. Or it just kind of got out of hand. And I still play WoW now and then. Um, other than that, I want to go back and play Kingdoms of Amalur as soon as I set it up again. Because that game, I really was proud of that. Yeah, I was going to say, you had a hand in making that, didn't you? Oh, I created the world. And then I helped them put their engine and their storyline into our world. And then I helped them edit the stories. So, yeah, I I had a big hand in that. I didn't write it, but I had a big hand in it. And I loved working with those folks. I still keep in touch with some of them. It's it's great. I have lifelong friends from my days at 38 Studios. Nice, nice. And most of them are big wigs at other computer game companies now, which is kind of cool. You have a favorite class you play in World of Warcraft? Um, you know, I always have a favorite class that's different every week, which is okay. why I have four level 70 characters waiting for the next expansion. Nice. <laughs> I like the Warlock. I, I use my Warlock for soloing because they're so overpowered. It's insane. I use my Paladin as my gatherer for herbs and mining because a Paladin, you can't kill them. Yeah. Uh, they're boring. It's a protection Paladin. You can't kill them. I'll stay alive. You're not going to kill me. But three hours later before I kill you, but I will. Um, <laughs> I, I have a, um, a holy priest. I love being the healing guy in the parties. And I have a, a fury warrior, which I just, this is the first time I played a warrior and I play them as a fury warrior. And it's like, when you get the right equipment, that is just disgusting. You kill things faster than mages. It's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, I have lots Massive of fun. DPS. Yeah. My favorite ever quest was always the monk. I love the monk. I love the monk as well. I know. I know. I had a. I had a water paladin. The the canara the the canara water paladin. Everybody thought I was crazy, and I and I was. But some of the fun fun some of the unique stuff for that nobody else played it. So yeah, I totally yeah. get you on that. The monk was great. And you running the in D and D. I always played monks, but I'm playing a blade singer right now, and I'm having a blast. I'm not the strongest character, but I'm having a blast. What edition are you guys running? Five E. 5e how do you yeah, like we were the playing we were playing 5e. demon wars okay which is a game i kickstarted yeah that my son who's a high-powered game designer at a company but i won't mention because he gets mad if i tell it anymore where it works okay uh, but he after 38 studios collapsed came back and he was doing working on some of his own games and i said hey i've always wanted to do a demon wars game and he designed a tabletop rpg for demon wars my other son who was a narrative designer gino who i've written books with did a lot of the writing on it. We did a we did a Kickstarter on it. Successful Kickstarter, sold thousands of them. And um, we played that for six years. It's got active defense. It's got talent trees. So you build your characters the way you want. We had a blast with that game. But then I realized, you know, I, I got to learn 5e because I'm still kind of working in that world. Yeah. So we started playing 5e and I was pleasantly surprised because I really like it. Nice. If you have a good DM, 5e is an amazing game. Do you find an issue with um, when you're writing to to try and match kind of what the mechanics are in a game? No, with God, with no. your stories. No, I have to stay within the boundaries that they set up in the game because mm-hmm. it, it is for the Forgotten Realms world. But the only time I ever did that was in um, one of the one of the Neverwinter books where I had the Efren, who's kind of a necromancer type character did a 4E anatomically correct battle scene in the forest. And it almost killed me. I hated doing it. It came out pretty good, but I don't do that. No. Yeah, I understand that. So when you are coming up with like stuff like magical items and things like that, how do you, how do you keep that, try and keep that in your mind when you're saying I'm writing for, you know, I'm still writing for a D&D audience. Do you pull out a book and go, okay, this is kind of what these kind of items can do? Or do you, come up with it and let them deal with it. Well, a lot of the items, I mean, I try not to lock them in because when the new edition comes out, they'll be different, right? Right. Like Twinkle, Dritz Scimitar, which is now a blend of two different scimitars because of the Great Forge, um, was initially like a plus four defender. Mm -hmm. But they really kind of got rid of that as the editions went on. Then they kind of brought it back, but not really. Uh, I guess it's back now. The plus three defender is back in 5e, I think. But it's, um, you know, you understand the flavor of the magic and you understand the boundaries of the magic. And then you just kind of play within those. And it's worked. So it's worked pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely does. I mean, I don't hear anyone complaining. You're, you're still writing, right? Oh, I'm sure somebody's <laughs> complaining. Somebody's always complaining. Usually me. But... When you're building a world, with all these different characters, do you know 
in your head that these are, you know, when you came up with the first book and you were, or the early books and you were introducing, say, like Artemis and Draxel, did you know that they were going to be a main characters for the overall story down the road? Or was that just something that developed as the fans acknowledged what was going on? Dritz wasn't in my initial, my initial, um, sample chapter and outline that I sent to was uh, TSR mm-hmm. when I was auditioning to do the second Forgotten Realms book. He, he came in as an afterthought, as a sidekick to Wolfgar, who was supposed to be the hero. And Adamus and Trary came in literally in the last chapter or epilogue, whatever it was, of the Crystal Shard, because I was trying to put a couple of hooks in the book in case they wanted me to do a second book. Okay. And he was, I fully expected the second book would be him and Dritz in the final showdown where he would die. And for some reason, he just kept kind of tugging at my heartstrings or something. Yeah. And so he just stuck around. And Jalaxel was a, Jalaxel was a lark. He was my walking deus ex machina. Yeah. He was only in there with his Batman utility belt for easy solutions. Cause I was just kind of making <laughs> fun of, I was making fun of the, you know, the movies where in the last scene, the dragon's going to destroy the whole city. And the guy, falls into the pile of treasure because the dragon throws him aside and he falls in. He picks up a sword. The sword has that dragon's name on it. And he stabs it and the dragon dies, right? Right. You know, that, that kind of deus ex machina moment or ending. Jalaxel was kind of like my joke for all of that. And then finally, like when Cell Swords came out, I had to, he was going to be a featured character. And I was thrilled until I realized I only had four months to write the book and I had no idea what he had for equipment. Yeah. Because it had just been one cameo after another. So I went on a message board anonymously. True. Okay. This was back before social media. Right. right. And before like the well, Forgotten Realms wiki and stuff. Yeah, like this a was Geo like Cities the, forum or something. Yeah, it was before <laughs> all of that. I went in, I went in probably AOL message, oh, message okay. board okay. or something anonymously. And I said, hey, guys, let's do an inventory of Jalaxel's cool items. And three days later, I downloaded like a 10-page thread where people were like giving the page numbers in the books where he had this and that. And someone else said, oh, no, he lost that here. And so I was looking it all up. I'm like, these guys are good. That <laughs> you was my research. the fans to tell you what, what the, what the, what's going on. Yeah, that was my research for the books. Well, again, I remember some people come up to me and they talk about like Streams of Silver, right? They'll come up and say, when you did this in Streams of Silver, it'll be some minor scene, minor character off to the side. I wrote the book in 1988. Right. I mean, I don't have that memory. Right. I don't remember what I did yesterday. <laughs> you know, I love all these. I love all these movies that show writers talking to their editors, like writers and editors ever actually sit down together, right? Right. And they they romanticize the whole thing where they start. He starts quoting like these long passages. A guy goes on a date with a woman. He quotes some obscure pack passage from some writer, and and she'll come back with the same thing. Oh. And they'll go on and on and on. It's like, yeah, who does that? <laughs> who remembers that stuff, right? You remember the first two lines of a poem, and that's about it for most people. So what you're saying but, is you're going to come out with a, a new movie where you tell it how it is? Is that, is that your next pitch? God, no. We have to keep <laughs> the romance going. <laughs> people can't think of us as sitting in a hole drinking bourbon. Um, <laughs> We can't let people think that's who we really are. Well, I mean, we're brilliant people who go out there and solve the world's problems every time we sit down for lunch. Don't you know that? You uh, you mentioned earlier writing, writing and working with your kids. How is that for you? Is is that oh, like awesome. exciting? Oh, it is. It, it's awesome because when I'm working with Brian on technical aspects of a game, um, he's so far above me that I learn. Um, and when I work with Gino on a book and stuff. Our styles are very, very different, but we come together in this kind of weird way. Um, it took us a while to figure out how we were going to make it work, but he's my son. We had to make it work. We were doing it. Right. Um, and I don't, I don't do a lot of cooperative books. The only other one I've done was with a dear friend of ours, uh, Eric Eli Lewis. We did a book called The Color of Dragons, a young adult book that came out uh, last year, late last year. Um, it was a young adult book, and I really don't know that that genre. It's different right. than fantasy, yeah, uh, adult fantasy. Yeah. But she knows that genre, and so when the the uh, it was actually uh, Temple Hill came to us and asked us to do it, the movie studio. Um, I don't know if they're ever going to make a movie, but I hope so. Um, you know, I said, you know, that's really out of my out of my 
area. You don't, you sure you don't want to do the highway man. That would make a great movie. Right. My Demon right. Wars book. Um, but they said, no, we really have this, we have this kind of basic idea. And they gave us the basic idea and we went, nah, then we changed it. We made our own, but, uh, working with Erica was a pleasure too. So I've only done it a couple of times with Gino and once with Erica. And then I worked on the game with Brian, but so far, so good. Did they read your stuff growing up? Yeah. Yeah. My my boys did. My daughter really didn't. Yeah. Uh, my wife is selective. She likes like the Coven series and the Demon War books, the Clara Quintet. She's very selective, which I don't really want her reading my books because I really don't need to hear it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but my my boys did. Um, absolutely. Now my grandkids are. My my oldest grandson is okay. reading all my books, but he's one of those people. He'll go he'll get on an airplane with an omnibus and he'll be done by the time the plane lands. Wow. And I'm talking a shuttle in New York. This kid can't read. That's no. great. Yeah, this kid, he's, he's a fabulous reader. And he's diving through them right now. Would they come up to you with books that you hadn't heard of and be like, oh, dad, you need to really read this. Yeah, you need to look at that. And are you like, oh, gosh. They know better. They know better? They know better. They can suggest books now and then, but they know better. Most of my reading isn't in the genre, honestly. Yeah. That's too hard because I'll be stealing ideas from other people. Um, and I know who I like in the genre and I read their books. Like, yeah. And it's usually for a blurb, like Aaron Evans. I'm reading a book by Aaron Evans right now that is, as usual, fantastic. Yeah. So um, it's, yeah, I'm just loving this book. And it, it, it's just, you know, or like Terry Brooks, when he has a new book out, I'll, I'll, I'll get it before it even comes out, before it even comes off his computer. Right. So I'll read yeah. that. But I don't read that much in the genre anymore because I'm trying to keep, first of all, if you're going to be a writer and I write a lot of stories that involve politics and culture and trade and how the systems work, you have right. to keep up on what's going on in the world. So I'll yeah. read a lot of books about current events, things that are going on. I read a lot of books about like geography and or archaeology or anthropology or, you know, to, just to, and history. I love the history books as well because when I create a new culture in the world, I'm not just making something up out of blow. Oh, and I think they'll eat marbles. Yeah. They'll eat marbles and they'll, then they'll, they'll blow them out their ear and shoot people with them. And you, know, you can't do things like that. Right. Your cultures have to rhyme with cultures that people are familiar with. So you really should understand the way things work. Like if I'm trying to write a book and I want a pre Renaissance feel, I'm going to go read books about Italy in the 1400s. Yeah. Right. Like when I was doing the Clara Quintet, I took a course in Chaucer because oh, wow. I really wanted that when people are beginning to question. Yeah. Right. In the Clara Quintet. And Chaucer's right at that spot. That's fascinating. Um, yeah. That's the way I do it. And it kind of shows in, in the newest, your newest series, because you can see a lot of that. There's some political stuff in there going on and a little bit of intrigue and you, you get the trades and how, how this one decision is going to affect everything. Right. And we can see that. And that's all what you're saying is coming from you doing that kind of work. So that sounds like a lot of work. The the newest two series I've worked on with Dritz, the Generations Trilogy and now the Way of the Trial and mm -hmm. the Coven books that I did in my Demon Wars, all are three very different things. The Generations Trilogy was the personal journey and what's going on. There was some catalysts that were being put in there that would have lasting effects. But the newer series is again, I mean, that that land, the book Starlight Enclave had been planned for many, many years that I would one day write a story about drow that were not under the influence of the Spider Queen. Right. And so I put them in a place where if you live in a place like this, it has to be more cooperative. You can't be hoarding things because there's nothing to hoard. If you're hoarding the food, food, the starving people will kill you. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't, they, uh, no influence of Loth. They're in a place where it's like a literally clean slate every year. You don't know what's going to happen. And because there's new snow falling. So it's literally a clean slate. And there's, so the relationships they have with the other, the other races of, of humanoids around them, whether it's the orcs or the dwarfs or whatever, is, are different. Yeah. And their own setup is away from the influences of the kings and queens and demon queens and gods of the realms. So what you have is essentially a liberal democracy. 
but I had to make it different. So I have to come up with ways to solve the same problems that we solve in other ways. Right. Right. Like the clothing, it's really cold. The, the lack of like food to support a city of that size. Yeah. And if you're just going to conjure bread, you know, the clerics are just going to conjure bread and water. I can't be boring. You'd leave just because the food was terrible. Right. Yeah. You know, you'd get on the next plane to something like El Paso or Chicago with this real food. Get something with some um, flavor in it. Yeah. So they've come up with ways to get around that through magic and, and technique, I, I guess you can call it, not so much technology, and create the things they need and the system that works for them. So it, to me, writing Starlight Enclave was really like writing Homeland all over again. In yeah. a lot of ways, except in Homeland, which is based more on the five families of New York, okay. you have people in a hole in the ground. If they try to leave through one of the caves, everything out there wants to eat them. They'll, they'll almost certainly die. They get no information except what their evil spider queen goddess tells them. Complete propaganda world. They're, and the zealots are people who are taking advantage of that. So they're more than happy to be her, you know her zealot priestesses right. that, that can maintain their power at the expense of everybody else. And, I, and that's a society that was just corrupted from like day five through day three million and five or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I, and then when I come to the surface, however, without that spider queen influence on this other drought culture that I was able to create, I got to play around with the same basic mentality uh, of this race, you know, who they, they live a long time. They have a different way of looking at the world. Um, like, like the elves do, like the dwarves do in their own way, you know? And so I got to do it all over again. And I went back again, you know, I said the Godfather for that one, this one was more like 14th century Florence. Okay. Um, where I really went back and studied and, and looked at some of the things they did and why they did them. And then tried to come up with, well, what would they need to do in this new place to be ready when bad things happened in this place? Yeah. And created things like Kaskalchi, the, the blood sport and things like that. And um, I, that's my favorite part of being a writer. When you're writing these things, do you have an issue ever where, you know, they come to you, say, Wizards of the Coast or, you know, whoever you're working for comes back and says, yeah, we can't have this. We have something else. Or do they are you to the point where they just give you carte blanche? For your, they don't mess with me much. They don't mess with me much. They really don't. They, they have. Even though I'm working with Harper Voyager now, Wizards does get an edit on the books. They get to approve or say no to covers to the what's in the books, and it's really they know I'm a team player. They know I understand the realms at this point as well as anyone up there. Yeah. Right. The only the only person I can think of who probably knows the realms better than I do, right? Well, no, there's plenty, but they're all from old TSI. None of them work at Wizards. Yeah. But Ed Greenwood, right? Right. Right. I mean. The people at Wizards right now, they know I know what I'm doing. They know I understand their game. They know I understand the messages they want uh, for the realms, the tone, the, the magic system and things like that. And they know I'm a team player. Yeah. So if I went to them and they said, we really want to change this, I'd say, okay, how do you want to change it? And then we'd find a way that we could all be happy. Okay. But there's very little of that. There's very little of that. Um, you know, we, we get along really well. That's great. Yeah. My only complaint was that a lot of people never got to read this book honestly, Starlight Enclave, I mean. Yeah. Because months before it came out, there was a big, you know, we're changing the drow websites and everything else. And I was like, couldn't you just wait till they just read the book? Right. Because the book is just a logical extension of my story. But, you know, that was above my pay grade. Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, there is. I like the way that it is part of the story. Like you can see it developing and how it's developing as far as what you're talking about there in the book. Yeah. I mean, like I said, this book has been planned for a long time, not the particulars of the world that I created because that I did while I was writing it. Right. But the idea of what I was going to do in this book is 12 years old at least. Yeah. And what a better time, what better time than now for this story to to come out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In, in one way, yes. In another way, no. In one way, yes, because it really is topical. 
Yeah. And another way, no, because people have made up their minds about things in a lot of ways. And so they're, they're, they're seeing things through an agenda prism as opposed to me just telling the logical extension of a story that I've been telling that has been consistent since 1987. Right, right. It's not like you're changing everything all overnight. It's, but it's that's been... what I mean when I say I wish people had come to the book organically. Yeah. People reading Dritz without knowing that, oh, is there an agenda here? You know, because there wasn't. It's right. consistent. Go back and read Dark Mirror in the mid-90s, the story I wrote about Dritz finding a goblin who was a slave. Yeah. And realizing this is not an evil goblin. Yeah. But what about the people who were enslaving him? Right. And wait a minute. This isn't an evil goblin. I thought all goblins were evil. Right. I'm a ranger. I'm supposed to kill all goblins. What does this mean? Well, it's right? growth of character, and I love it. I love it. Yeah. But that, that story is probably one of my favorite Dritz pieces that I've ever done. And it really just made him go, what the hell? Yeah. Because, the, you know, the Dritz books from the very beginning have been about ethics and individual agency. That's what they're about. That's the story of Dritz. Yeah. And his friends. When you're going through these books and you have things like cover art and audiobooks and things like that, do you have a lot of hand in the artist or the narration or any of that <laughs> kind of stuff? Or is it just no. like, this is what we're giving you? Deal with it. No, you, you get what they give you. It's, um, I've been really lucky. I mean, look, my first cover was Larry Elmore. Right. Right. My name was <laughs> this big on the book and Forgotten Realms was this big. And that's why it went out in big numbers. Right. I don't hold any illusions about that. And that Larry Elmore cover was just brilliant. Right. Um, I did get to get Keith Parkinson once before he passed on. I wanted Keith. To, I wanted to work with Keith. I love his work. That's that's a painting. That's a Keith painting, right? Yeah. There. He did it. Yeah. The only one he did for one of my books was from Mortalis, which is my favorite book to this day. Is the fourth book of my Demon Wars series, and Keith did the cover for that. And I had some input in that. But it depends on the publisher. It depends what kind of mood they're in. Right. <laughs> it depends what other things they have to tie it to, like. Wizards, I think, would have a harder time giving me the kind of latitude on things like covers than, say, you know, I'm doing my new Demon War series with Saga. My new Demon War series, it's up to me. If I, if I say I really want pirates on the cover, they'll, yeah. they'll give me, they'll, they'll, they'll listen. Right. Unless they find an artist who does something that's just out of this world, and then they'll try and get me to do that. But Wizards has to be more careful than that because the images that go out cross platforms. Right. So if I've got Drifts looking this way or doing this and, and then, you know, Cryptic does something different or, you know what I mean? Yeah. They have more that they have to worry about because it's so multi-platformed at this right. point in time uh, than, than the books I'm just doing on my own in my own series. What about audiobooks? I uh, love them. Victor Bavine is, is your main narrator. Again, I've been incredibly fortunate. Victor Bavine doing my books for... Dritz, he's the voice of Dritz. It's on his business card, and it's true. And I have uh, Tim Garad Reynolds doing my Demon Wars books, and that's pretty spectacular too, because he he's got just the right accent and and background to do them. Yeah. Do you listen to audiobooks yourself? Sometimes, not. I I find that when I listen to them, I'm, I get distracted, and then I have to like try and figure out where I stop listening yeah. to them. Some people, you know, love them, and some people. It, it's just hard. I think if I was, if I was commuting or something where I don't commute, I walk up the stairs. You know? Yeah. Uh, if I was commuting, I think I'd really be into audiobooks. but it's hard around here because I'm, I'm, it's almost around here. I'm almost ADHD, you know? Yeah. Let's go yeah. on pool. Okay. I got to get downstairs and do some weights. Okay, great. We're going for a walk. Yep. Oh, the kids are coming over. Great. They're bringing their grandkids. Yeah. I'll, I'll hide everything. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 that's my life. It's crazy. So audiobooks would have a hard time with me. Yeah, well, yeah, but I, I also want to say that Graphic Audio did the original Demon Wars books and the Highwayman. They did those books. They call it a movie in your mind. They yeah. hire actors and they do this theatrical presentation. Yeah, and they just re-released. They've been gone for a long time. They just re-released the seven original Demon War books. In they remastered them and re-released them, and those are fabulous. Nice. They just, I mean, it's it's different than listening to the straight read because they're bridged. 
Yeah, but they're really fun. They do a good. They do a. But it's yeah, it's, it's it's like a theater in your mind. I've I've listened to a few of those. I primarily listen to audiobooks if I if I can. I'll listen to an audiobook over reading because I I have the time. Uh, I'm I'm out there a lot, so it's like being out in a vehicle or driving or doing stuff. I can listen to it. Um, yep. Whereas I have to sit still for a half a minute, you know, to to, to open a book and read it. So it's just sure. great to hear it. And those those theater in the mind ones, those really catch uh, those really can catch your your attention and really get get you pulled into the story even more. Well, so. it's like something like 117 hours of Demon Wars, <laughs> theater in your mind. Great. Looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're really great. They did a fantastic. That was one of the early series they did, too. Yeah. This great. was back when you had to buy like 10 discs. <laughs> yeah. Now you just log cassettes, in. And... Cassettes, maybe a couple. Of no, them. They, oh, yeah. They were, no, they were discs. Were they they discs? weren't cassettes. Okay. They weren't that far back. My, the only books I have on cassette that I know of, I think Vector Prime was a No, Vector Prime was a CD, uh, the Star Wars book I did. I okay. think my first Demon Wars book. And I think the legacy they did in an audio book and they were cassettes and Billy Moomy, uh, the original Will Robinson of lost in space did one of them. Nice. And that was kind of cool. And one of my favorite old fantasy movies is dragon slayer. Remember yeah. Dragon slayer. Yeah. And Peter McNichol did the, you know, Galen Bradwarden did, uh, I think the legacy. So that was really cool. Nice. And then, of course, I had this experience a few years ago when they were doing the anthology, the collected stories of the Legend of Dritz. Yeah. I didn't know they were doing it, uh, that Audible was doing it. And my wife came in from the back room and she's like, uh, Bob, does this look familiar to you? And she gave me a, a it was Ice-T's blog. And he was complaining. He went in to read a book and they gave him this Dungeons and Dragons book and he couldn't pronounce anything. And they have talking swords and flying horses. And he's going <laughs> on and on and on. And I'm like, Holy crap, that's my story. <laughs> so I called Wizards and it was they were trying to make it a surprise to me, but they got like Will Wheaton and Melissa Roche and David Duchovny and Ice T and Weird Al and all these other star, you know, celebrities and stars to do each of the stories. Felicia Day did a couple, did nice. one or two. Uh, Sean Astin did one, right? Yeah. And they they were gonna they was gonna surprise me, but then I wound up. I had one of those, those surreal days. I had to go get my TSA known traveler background checked in Boston. Yeah. So we're in Boston. We went to the airport and did that. And then we were walking over the Fenway Park to watch the Red Sox. And I was on the phone on Ice-T's podcast. And the first thing he asked me, he goes, don't tell me you can pronounce these names. <laughs> he didn't say these names. I'm not going to swear on your show. <laughs> and I said, of course not. He goes, oh, I love you. <laughs> I, I adore him. We hooked up on Twitter a little bit. I, I PM him now and then. He'll PM me now. I, I love this man. He is he is a bad dude, but he's a great dude. That's great. Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. There's some perks to this business, after all. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You mentioned your Star Wars book uh, yeah. that you did. How was that? Were you a fan of Star Wars before then? I was a fan of the movies. Yeah. As, you know, the only thing that was out when I did them was the, was the original trilogy. Right. Um, I was 17 when I when I 17 or 18, when I watched um, A New Hope and then that Star Destroyer came over the screen. That was it because we had to sit right in the front row. So it was yeah. like it was coming right over us. And uh, that was like, I was like, wow, you know, they finally did something like this is amazing. Right. It's going to change the world. Um, it did. Yeah. And but I wasn't into like the expanded universe and all of that. I mean, I know I, I know Tim a little bit as friends with Mike Stackpole. So I knew they were doing them. I under, I knew the books. But um, when Del Rey got the rights, they asked me, you know, I was one of their new authors. They were trying to promote. They asked me to do the first book in the New Jedi Order. And I said, you know, really, because I know the movies, but expanded universe kind of got away from me there. I, I can't keep up with that when I'm trying to keep up with the realms. And yeah. And they said, it's okay, Mike Stackpole will help you. And he did. Mike was a great help. And they sent me like the Star Wars Encyclopedia. And I had all the resources at my fingertips. They told me what they were trying to accomplish in this like 20 book series or whatever it turned out to be. And they wanted me to go like from A to B. And they said, we need a Pyrrhic victory. This is a new enemy we're trying to develop. And, and so I took the Yuzhan Vong and I did all these strange yeah. things with them and kind of brought it to the next one. And I had the outline. I sent it in and they said, this is great. This is exactly what we want. But didn't anyone tell you? I said, what? Said, you got to kill Chewie. I'm like, F you. Where do I send the check back? 
and we had this big long fight. And this was in August, and they needed the book for they needed the book by like October. So it's not like I had months and months to write the book. Wow. And um, yeah, but then you know they they convinced me they were doing it for the right reasons, and I'm still not sure that's true. Yeah. Kind of regret doing it, not just because I got incredible backlash, but just yeah. because I don't like hurting people. I know and friends I that, that said that they threw the book after when they read that. They're like, I think that really hurts some <laughs> people. But I meet people all the time who said that's what it needed. That re- reignited right. my love of Star Wars. And I know other people that said, I slept with a chewy doll and I'm going to find out where you live, you bastard. You know, that reminds me in, in role playing where you, you tell, you know, the player should know that they can die. You know, the, the GM's not going to let you yeah. live forever. You can yeah. die. You like, and so I think that that's also that they should that a person should know that yeah maybe a character can die, and that that brings intrigue because you don't know what's going to happen next. So a surreal moment in my life. I was at Star Wars Celebration two in Indian. I think it was two in Indianapolis signing Vector Prime, and it swarms of people in this convention hall, right? Right. And I was like right in the middle of the hall. I wasn't in one of the side rooms. So there's like thousands of people all around walking around in in the outfits. You know the the. 501st was there with their, their stormtroopers and everything. And all of a sudden, I hear this noise. And I look up, and the crowd is parting. And there's this seven foot six giant walking toward me. Oh, no. It was Peter Mayhew. Yeah. Yeah. And he came around the table and he like dropped his hands on my shoulder. And I had a picture on my Facebook page. I look like I'm about eight years old next to him. His <laughs> hands are like this big. Yeah. Right? And he's kind of choking me. And he goes, we got to talk. <laughs> and then later we talked. He wanted me to sign one of the books for his kid. You know, he was, he's just, I miss him. I miss him. I only yeah. saw him at conventions and I feel like I lost one of my best friends when he yeah. passed because he's one of the most gracious human beings I've ever met in my life. We'd be walking through and he'd see me and Diane. He'd be like, hey, Diane, get him, get, get over here. He's got this long line. He's interrupting it so we can go over and say hi to Peter. Yeah. Um, just, just a wonderful man. And I That's killed great. him. <laughs> yeah, he killed him off. But <laughs> at Disney rescued him, and he's a Disney princess now. Yeah. So they won't have it on my gravestone, and everything's cool. Yeah, they're just going to pre- wipe the slate clean and pretend that <laughs> Disney Never saved happened. you. Is that what you're saying? Disney <laughs> saved you? <laughs> my, my name is Bobby. My last name might be Ewing. It might have been the shower scene. I'm done. <laughs> I'm old enough to get that joke. Seems like you I get too. the joke. I get the joke. I do. I do. <laughs> no, one, no one listening does. Uh, we we have some people in here that might get the joke some some in the in the live stream some geezers is that what you're saying did you uh <laughs> did somebody in chat yay dallas joke um <laughs> did you so your bio says that you were influenced by tolkien and that was kind of your stepping stone for, yeah, for going was, into things tolkien changed my life were there other books as well other oh, fantasy yeah, books yeah. that when really I say stood I was up influenced to you? by tolkien here's how okay when i was very young I, I was reading way before kindergarten because I have five older sisters. So I had six mothers. That's okay. where I came up with the drow, by the way. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> my sisters would always say, can I be Vienna? No, you're not Vienna. You're Breeza. <laughs> um, and so I was, I had to deal with my mother because school was really boring. And she would let me bag school. As long as I was getting A's, she didn't care. And so I would stay home and I would read my Charlie Brown books. You can't see them here, but if you go past the softball trophies to that back bookcase, I have a, this huge collection of first edition peanuts books from the early sixties. Wow. I was a Charlie Brown fanatic. I yeah. love Charlie Brown. And, and the older I get, the more I think Charles Schultz was right about so much. Right. I just love those books. So I would stay home and read. And I also have my comics at fantastic four was a big favorite of mine. Um, and so I read all the time and I would write, I would create, I loved it. And then through the years, school kind of beat the love of that out of me. Now I remember being in like the eighth grade and they gave me, you have to, you're going to read these wonderful books. And they gave me Silas Minor and Ethan Fromm. And it's like, what the hell do I care about any of this? Right. And they gave me like Moby Dick to read. And I got to tell you, if you took 72 chapters out of Moby Dick, it'd be a hell of a short story. Right. Yeah, for but sure. From for an eighth grade, I mean, look, I can, I'm not trying to knock those books. Yeah, if I went back and read Ethan Fromm or Silas Miner now, if I could get past my initial ah, right, um, I'd probably see why the teacher thought they were really great. Right. But as an eighth grade boy, 
you know, just trying to figure out the world and trying to figure out girls and trying to figure out sports and just trying to survive in a horrible junior high school. Yeah. Those books meant nothing to me. And so I stopped reading except what I had to read. And I stopped writing except what I had to write to keep my grades up. Yeah. And I went to college and it was, I didn't even know what I was going to do. I went undeclared, but I was really a math science, uh, math uh, science major. I was thinking physics. I'd done really, really well on my SATs in, in math and physics. I did okay in the English part, but really excelled in that. So I figured that, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd find something to do with either math or science because I love math and science. Yeah. Particularly science. But I was also, I was, I was commuting. I was working two or three jobs to pay for it. I was taking care of my parents who were aging. Um, I was a bouncer in a local nightclub. I worked in factories, whatever, you know, just, just to get through that school. Yeah. But I, was, I wasn't thinking much about it. And then my freshman year, my sister for Christmas gave me a copy of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. And I was like, what is this? And she goes, oh, it's, it's about a hobbit. It's like a little person. I, I said, a little person. She goes, yeah, it's like a dwarf, but they have hairy feet. I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> and she goes, no, no, no. And she's trying to tell me what it's about. And I'm laughing at it. And she just said, just read them. So I went in my room and I was mad because I needed money to fix my car. I had this. 69 Mercury Cougar that I had to fix every other day. I loved right. it, but it broke down all the time. And so I just threw the books in the corner. I didn't think anything of it. A couple of months later, we had the great blizzard of 78 up here in New England. And it happened. It came in on a, it came in on a Tuesday, uh, Monday night, and Tuesday morning. And they said we might get a couple of inches of snow. And we got like feet of snow, but the wind was whipping and the cars were trapped on the highway and you had six foot snow drifts everywhere. Wow. Everything was shut down for the rest of the week, including college. Couldn't, there's no way I could get there. Right. They didn't have the kind of plowing equipment they have now. No car had four-wheel drive. Um, nobody had, you know, we had real-wheel drive. I mean, you aren't, you aren't going to go anywhere. Yeah, you'd be making circles if you get so up. So here I am, 19 years old and trapped in my mother's house. Oh, joy. <laughs> um, so I, I said, oh, what the hell? And I pull out The Hobbit. And, and I opened the book. And it was early in the morning and the sun's coming up. I'm, I'm trying to see what the weather's going to be like. We're going to get more snow. And and I got Fleetwood Mac playing the chain. Uh, Fleetwood Mac rumors is playing on my nice. stereo, Good the call. Album spinning around. And and I read in the hole in the ground they lived a hobbit. And I went, oh, what the hell is this? And I think I read those books. I'm a very very slow reader. I think I read those books like three times before I went back to school. And I it, I remembered I remembered what it was like with Charlie Brown under the covers of my bed reading about Charlie Brown. Yeah. And it was magical. And I, I kept thinking, why didn't they give me The Hobbit to read in the eighth grade? Why the hell, Silas Mana, give me this book right. and get out of my way. You'll never have to try to teach me how to read. I promise. And so, yeah, Tolkien did it for me. He brought me right back into that. And I changed my major to communications media because then all of my courses, my electives could become literature courses because I was going for technical writing. Right. Where you're an English major who has to understand what engineers are saying and make it so that non-engineers can understand it. And I could do that. Yeah. So that's what I was doing. And so now I'm reading, you know, within a year, I'm reading Chaucer in middle English and laughing at all the right parts. I'm reading Shakespeare again and I'm getting it. I'm understanding why they think it's important. I'm reading the romantics, uh, Wordsworth and and Kelly and and, uh, Shelley and Keats. And I'm like, this is really wonderful. They're talking about ordinary people instead of Kings. This is amazing. And so it changed my whole life. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that like Tolkien, uh, Tolkien-esque fantasy, I guess, is the groundwork for most of modern fantasy. It was picked right. up by Brooks and Donaldson. And, uh, but if I had to look at authors that had direct impact on the way I like to write, I think Fritz Lieber is one of the, mm-hmm. I mean, Fafford and Gray Mouser, I love buddy fantasy. You and have I think no idea how many authors I'm like, I had a little bit of knowledge um, until I started the show. And so many authors say the same thing as you. That story. Those characters. Fafford and Gray Mouser? Yeah. Yeah. So many. And I'm like, I really... It, those novellas are magical. Yeah. When, the, when, they're in, when they raid the caravan on the streets and they're going to split it in 60-60? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just the little lines in there. And, and I just, I mean, that's where I came up with Dritz, right? You got Wolfgar, Fafford, and yeah. Melser. Yeah. This will work. Buddy fantasy, right? Yeah. And they just expanded on that whole concept. 
So I think he had a big influence on me. I think Roger Zelazny. Um, when I sat down to do the Dark Elf trilogy, I was thinking I would do it. Oh, let me shut this phone off before it starts binging. Sorry no about that. Um, you know, I was thinking I'd do the Dark Elf trilogy in first person because I read Amber. And yeah. Amber is wonderful. Just amazing stuff. And first person is really hard to write, but, you know, he's a baby when it's that. You can't really do first person. Yeah. And then I love writing big battle scenes with lots of things going on in different places. And if you're in a fight, the only thing that matters is what's right in front of you and maybe coming in from the side. You're not looking at Bruner fighting a, an orc over there while yeah. you're battling a Yeti right here, right? You just, right? That's not how it works. And that's where I came up with the Dritz Essays. So that I could get in his mind a little bit. I could do a little Zelazny-like work and do things from the perspective, completely from the character's point of view. Right. And that became the essays. And then I think think Michael Moorcock might have had some influence on me. Um, You know, Terry Brooks, certainly. And told it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think Charles Schultz had a lot of an effect on the way I write. Because like I said, my books were about ethics and individual agency. And so yeah. is Peanuts. Definitely. As a person from the hometown of Schultz, I agree. Are you really? <laughs> yeah, I'm from St. Paul's. Yeah. Yep. So cool. we have we have we have little stat peanut statues all over the place here. Let's yeah. uh we're running a little little long on time, but I want to talk about we talked a little bit about Glacier's Edge. Uh we chatted about that. Uh you mentioned Color of Dragons, which is out now. Yep. Um and that's more of a young adult book, right? It's a young adult book about the beginning of magic in uh, pre-authorian England. Nice. Yeah. It's and that's and you're writing that with uh, another author, Erica right? Eli Lewis. Nice. Um, and who's you have... got who's got a whole new uh, middle grade series coming out? It's really fantastic. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll Kelsey see Murphy. Can... Look for Kelsey Murphy. Good stuff. Well, maybe I'll send them a message and have them on the show. And now on September 20th, you have the Tao of Dritz. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, this has been going on for many, many years where people have been asking for all of the Dritz essays in one place. Right. And Watsi was resistant. I was kind of resistant because, you know, whether we're going to do book two in five years or whatever. And I just figured that now it really was the time for it. Yeah. Um, given the the content of the new books, the things that are going on, you know, where I am in my career, where we are with the Dritz story. I just thought it was the right time to do it. So we took basically we're taking all the Dritz essays from Homeland all the way to the book that's I haven't even done it yet. Some yeah. of the some of the essays in there. I had to write the essays before I write the books. And we put them together in the journal, uh, a kind of a really high quality journal of Dritz to work. And um, it's called The Tao of Dritz. It's coming out in September. And, and now's the time for it. And we're getting a ton of pre-orders on it. I think people are very excited about it. I'm very excited about it. I was talking to Victor Bravine. You mentioned him. And yeah. he says, boy, reading the Dritz essays one after the other, as opposed to the beginning of each section of the book, is just a different experience. I'm really loving it. So well, they, they kind of tell their own story, fun. right? Yeah. Yeah. They tell their own story. You see the development of Dritz in different ways yeah. more clearly. It's it's so it was a it was a fascinating thing to do. And so, you know, I, I, I worked on that. Now I'm working on the third book in the way of the draw. Um, I don't know if they've announced name yet, so I'm not going to. So don't announce I'm, it. Yeah. I'm not going to break it. I don't want to have to edit it out a, if you do. <laughs> it's got an absolutely perfect name for the series. Excellent. Um, I'm working on that. And now, you know, it's the Civil War and Menzo Berenstein that's been brewing for a few books. Yeah. Yeah, between sure. the Lothians and the ones who created the heresy yeah. against Loth. Um, and I'm also working on the books that follow the coven, which is a series I just adored writing. Got, got way bigger than I thought it would get. And it was a pleasure to write. And now it left the world in such a state that I could really try my hand at rhyming with a different part of history that, and make it make sense. Yeah. And so the new books are pirate centered. And um, you had just wrote it. Um, I wrote, um, I wrote the first book and I, as I was writing it, it seemed a little off to me because I was trying to tie this story with this story and then bring them together at the end. Then I realized, you know what, this is two books and I can bring them together at the end of the second book. So I put this, the onshore story off and I just focused on the pirates, the crew of that pirate ship. And I had, I don't think I've ever had more fun writing a book. My wife would always, she's telling everyone he'd come down the stairs every day giggling. 
And that's what it was true. I was doing that. I don't think I've giggled like that writing a book in a long time, but just the battle scenes is, is I just had so much fun with the pirate ships and the research was wonderful, you yeah. know, getting to really get out there and do some boating and see some ships and learn the terms and figure out what the hell um, was going on with these pirates and uh, watching the documentaries on the pirate kingdoms. And yeah. like there's one on, on Disney called drain the pirate city where they, they talk about, um, Oh, what was it? Port Royal outside yeah. of Kingston, Jamaica, when it just sank, like in hours, the whole city just sank. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and what they list. do in it, the drain the documentaries, they did one with the Titanic. What they do is they just pretend that they've drained all the water away from it. And this is what is left. And they do it by imaging. And they're really fantastic. And so the, the research was a blast. I watched Black Sails again, beginning to end. Right. That's a great um, it's just such a fun show really is the, the fight scenes and that the, the, just the way you feel like you're sweating when you watch that show. And the little touches that has to some pop, like other novels and characters that are out there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then reading like the Republic of pirates and uh, on stranger tides, reading, reading these, these Billy bud, right. Reading these fantastic pirate books uh, to get ready for the series was so much fun. Then writing, it was more fun than I thought it would be. I, I just, it was just a giggle a day, really. That's awesome. So I'm still going with Demon Wars, still going with Drifts, and I'm just having a I'm trying to have as much fun as I can before the conventions kill me. Yeah. Well, hopefully the conventions don't kill you. And I'm excited for the books, all of them. Uh, especially the ones that like you're just talking about. Like the more you sound excited about something, the more I get excited. And I'm sure the more the listeners get excited because they they understand passion and when they feel it and they hear it from even just the, you. Uh, that makes them more excited. For yeah, it, but if so. it wasn't there, you wouldn't still be working in this business, right? right. If you don't have that, you got nothing in this right. business because this business will kill you. It's getting dark here. Yeah, um, that's all right. <laughs> getting we can dark earlier it. now. Jeez. Um, <laughs> you know, this business will kill you. So if you don't have that passion anymore, that's like when people say, what's your favorite book? I always want to say the one I'm working on. Right. Um, but um, this one is one of the most fun books I've ever done. And now I'm doing a civil war in Menzo Baron's on. So there's a little bit of action. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. You're going to be on some shows coming up. We talked about it earlier. You're going to be on, uh, and this was told to me. So you, this may be a surprise to you on some of these, uh, dragon talk podcast, fantasy grounds, podcast, uh, functional nerds, upper pen, dungeon crawlers, and author stories is the list I was given for future podcasts. You're going to be on here coming up. There are uh, probably more, but there's probably they just, more. I tell them, look, all right, I'll do it. Call me on the morning of because yeah, let I'll me know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Looks like That's there's going to be a Reddit AMA in the backslash fantasy, our backslash fantasy on August. Oh, there 11th. is, isn't there? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm up on the stuff. You're going to be well, in Emerald City, Emerald City Comic Con. Easy for me to say. Uh, and you're going to be doing a signing at Gibson's bookstore. In Concord, New Hampshire. Yes, Concord, I love Gibson's. Wonderful store. I, I was up there a few years ago, and I've, I'm trying to go back as often as I can. It's uh, not that far a drive from me, and Concord is just it's such a wonderful little town. Amazing. Your Twitter handle is at R underscore A underscore Salvatore. Uh, yep. That is also your Instagram. Uh, Facebook backslash the real R.A. Salvatore. And yeah. website rasalvatore.com which you guys can go there and get all the book it's got its own bookstore built in and everything yeah rasalvatore.com is my wife's bookstore and you can get signed personalized books all the time and if i don't say that she won't cook me dinner right now while oh, i'm doing this okay um which is okay because i'll cook my own <laughs> but i said it anyway so i'm off the hook <laughs> yeah i can hear the thing in the background no oh, that's in the garbage <laughs> there goes your dinner no, my grandkids are here, so it's probably all gone anyway. Oh, I suppose. Those kids can eat. For those that are watching the live stream, we will be doing a little Q&A afterwards, so make sure and throw your questions in there. I can't say that we're going to get to all of them, but we'll do our best. Uh, friends and enemies, August 22nd, we're going to be joined by Darkseid himself from Zack Snyder's Justice League. Ray Porter's going to be joining us. He's not just an actor and a voice actor for animated shows and movies. He's also one of the most sought-after audiobook narrators out there. So join us August 22nd for that. September 5th, award-winning author Tim Pratt 
Known for his contributions to science fiction and fantasy, he's a Hugo Award winner. He's been nominated for Nebula Awards, Stoker Awards, and more. He's also the author of some of my favorite, favorite Paizo Pathfinder Tales books. And if there's something that he has in common with R.A. Salvatore, it's our September 19th guest. The common thread here is actor, author, audiobook narrator, Victor Bavine is going to be joining us. Uh, That's going to be September 19th. So make sure to join us. Listen, rate, review, follow, subscribe, all of the things. When you do those, it helps us and it helps our guests. So for those of you listening and for R.A. Salvatore, thank you for listening to Epic Realms. Well, there you are. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. And I do hope that you come back and join us again for Epic Realms. <laughs>